Chapter Twenty, Part One. Princess Minikin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Victoria Kahn. The Old Old Fairy Tales by Laura Valentine. Princess Minikin. Once upon a time, there lived a king and a queen who had only one son in whom they centered all their hopes he was fourteen years old at the time from which this history commences and the queen had given up all hopes of having any more children the prince was handsome to admiration and learned with facility all that was taught him the king and queen doted on him and their subjects made him the object of their tenderest affection for though he knew very well what distinction was necessary to observe toward the several persons who approached him he was affable to all he was called zirphil as he was their only son the king and queen resolved that he should marry young that they might hope to see princes his sons worthy of wearing their crown if unfortunately zirphil should be taken from them search was accordingly made on foot and on horseback for a princess worthy of the heir apparent but notwithstanding a suitable partner for him could not be found at last after many inquiries had thus been made the queen was informed that a lady very closely veiled requested a personal and private interview with her majesty in order to confer with her on a very important affair the queen hastened to her throne to receive her and gave orders for her to be ushered into her presence the lady on being admitted walked up to the queen without removing her large white veil which reached from her head to her feet and entirely concealed every part of her person when she had arrived at the foot of her throne i am astonished o queen said she that you have even dreamed of marrying your son without consulting me i am the fairy marmotta and my name is too well known for you not to have heard of me i am mortally offended and as a commencement of your punishment i command you to marry your son zirphil to a person whom i have brought hither for that especial purpose with these words she fumbled in her pocket and pulled out a small toothpick-case this she opened when there issued from it a little enameled doll so pretty and so nicely made that the queen in spite of her grief could not forbear admiring its beauty this is my goddaughter continued the fairy and i have destined zirphil from his birth to be her husband the queen burst into tears and conjured marmotta by the most tender entreaties not to expose her to the laughter of her subjects who would ridicule her indeed if she were to announce to them such a marriage what do you mean by ridicule madam said the fairy ah we shall see whether they have any occasion to ridicule my goddaughter and whether your son ought not to adore her i assure you 
that she is worthy of him in every respect that she is small is true but she has more wit than all the people in your kingdom put together and when you hear her you will be surprised yourself for you must know that she can talk and to some purpose come little princess minikin said she to the doll talk a little to your mother-in-law and show her what you can do then the pretty minikin skipped on to the queen's tippet and complimented her in so tender and intelligent a manner that the queen suspended her tears and affectionately kissed the little princess here your majesty said the fairy is my toothpick case you can replace your daughter-in-law therein i wish your son to accustom himself to her society before he marries her however i do not think it will require a very long time your obedience may soften my anger but if you disobey my orders you your husband your son and your kingdom shall all feel the effects of my resentment and above all do not fail to replace her very early every evening in the case for it is of great importance that she does not sit up late with these words the fairy lifted up her veil and the queen fainted away with terror on perceiving a real living marmot covered with black hair and having a head as large as an ordinary woman her attendants came to her assistance and when she recovered from her swoon she only saw the case which marmotta had left she was conveyed to bed and the king was informed of her indisposition he hastened to her apartment in violent agitation the queen desired all her attendants to quit the room and with a torrent of tears related what had transpired to his majesty who would not believe a word she said until he saw her draw forth the doll from her little case good heaven cried he after meditating a few moments is it possible that kings are liable to such severe misfortunes alas we are only placed higher than other men to feel more acutely the sorrow and misfortunes inseparable from this life and to show greater examples of fortitude sire interposed the doll in a soft and clear voice my dear minikin said the queen you talk like an oracle the king took her hand and kissed it finally after an hour's conversation between these three personages it was agreed that nothing should as yet be said about the marriage and that they were to wait until zirphil who was then absent for three days on a hunting expedition should determine to obey the fairy's orders which the queen undertook to make known to him meanwhile the king and queen paid the utmost attention to little minikin she had a highly accomplished mind she spoke exceedingly well and with a peculiarly lively turn which was engaging however notwithstanding her animation her eyes had a certain motionless stare which was not agreeable and which the queen only overlooked as she began to love the little princess she was however 
fearful that the prince might conceive an aversion to her on this account more than a month had passed after marmotta's visit and the queen had not yet dared to introduce Sirfil to his proposed bride when one morning that prince entered her apartment before she had risen and seating himself by her bedside spoke as follows a few days ago madam while i was hunting the most surprising adventure conceivable befell me which i would fain have concealed from you but the secret has become so burdensome to me that i feel i can withhold it from you no longer it is now some days since that as i was eagerly following a wild boar i became so absorbed in its pursuit as not to observe that i had outstripped all my attendants when as i arrived at the outskirts of the forest i all at once saw the animal precipitate himself into a large opening in the ground into which my horse plunged after him i felt myself descending into the earth for about half an hour when my horse's hoofs came suddenly in contact with the floor looking about me i saw instead of the wild boar which i confess i was somewhat fearful of meeting a very ugly woman who begged me to alight from my horse and follow her i did not hesitate and giving her my hand she opened a little door which i had not before perceived and i entered with her into a green marble saloon in the middle of which stood a large golden tub covered by a piece of rich cloth this she raised and i saw in the tub a lady of such surpassing loveliness that i could with difficulty preserve myself from falling backward with surprise prince Serfil, said the lady who appeared to be bathing the fairy marmotta has enchanted me here and it is by your aid alone that i can be freed speak madam said i inform me how i can serve you you must replied the lady either pledge yourself to marry me immediately or scale me alive my surprise at the first proposition could only be equalled by my horror at the alternative she observed my embarrassment and continued do not imagine that i am ridiculing you or that i am making a proposal that you will have any reason to repent accepting no Zerville, do not be alarmed but i am an unfortunate princess for whom the fairy has conceived a violent hatred and whom she has metamorphosed into a creature half woman half whale because i refused to marry her nephew the king of the whitings a young man the ugliness of whose person is only equalled by the wickedness of his actions the fairy has condemned me to remain in the state in which you now see me until a prince named Zerfil shall have fulfilled one of the conditions i have just proposed to you to bring this about i caused my lady of honour to take the shape of a wild boar this morning in order to attract you hither you know how my design has succeeded but i must now inform you that you will not be allowed to quit this place until you have complied with either one or the other of my requests this i cannot avoid and citronetta whom you have already seen will confirm to you the truth of my words conceive madam said prince Serfil to the queen who was listening with the greatest attention into what a state this speech threw me 
although i thought that the princess was very beautiful and although her beauty and misfortunes made her extremely interesting the idea of a whale princess inspired me with horror on the other hand the thought of scaling her alive made me frantic but madam said i at length for the silence into which her discourse had thrown me was becoming as insupportable as it was unmannerly is there no third means of accomplishing what you desire i had no sooner pronounced these unlucky words then the princess and her attendant began to utter such piercing shrieks and lamentations as almost rent the roof of the saloon ingrate barbarian tiger everything that is most ferocious and inhuman said she you would then add to my punishment the horror of seeing you expire for know that if you do not resolve at once to comply with my request the fairy has assured me that you will perish and that i shall remain in my present condition all my life her reproaches pierced my heart she drew her beautiful arms from the water and clasped her lily-white hands to entreat me to decide quickly citronetta threw herself at my feet and embraced my knees almost deafening me with her clamorous grief but how can i marry you said i how can the ceremony be performed in the first place <sighs> scale me she said tenderly and do not marry me at all i shall be quite as well pleased scale her said the attendant redoubling her entreaties and trouble yourself no further i was in an inexpressible perplexity and when i attempted to reflect how to act their cries and tears only increased my confusion at last after a thousand conflicting thoughts i looked again on the beautiful whale princess and her beauty triumphed i knelt near the tub and taking her fair hand no adorable princess i exclaimed i will not scale you i prefer to marry you the princess joy at hearing these words was visible on her countenance but it was a modest joy for she blushed and with downcast eyes she said i shall never forget the service you are about to do me i am so penetrated with gratitude to you that you cannot ask me for anything that i will not grant you in return come lose no time cried the impatient citronetta but inform prince zirphil what remains for him to do it is only necessary said the whale princess blushing again for you to give me your ring and to receive mine here is my hand receive it as a pledge of my faith no sooner had i made this tender exchange and kissed her fair hand that i found myself on my horse in the middle of the forest where i was soon rejoined by my attendants and i returned to the place mute with astonishment every evening since this took place i have been transported without knowing by what means into the handsome green marble saloon where i pass the night in company with an invisible person who says she is my bride and who converses with me on the subject of our union but ah my son interrupted the queen and is it possible that you are really married yes but although i am very fond of my wife madam resumed the prince 
i would have restrained my passion for her if i could have disenchanted her without either marrying her or scaling her alive as zirphil pronounced these words a small voice was heard from the queen's pocket saying prince zirphil you should have scaled her and your pity will perhaps be fatal to you on hearing this voice the prince was quite speechless with astonishment in vain the queen attempted to conceal the speaker from him he immediately fumbled in the pocket which was lying on an armchair which stood near the bed and drew forth the case which the queen took from his hand and opened princess minikin then stepped from it and the prince in surprise kneeling down by the queen's bedside to look at her more closely exclaimed would you believe madam that this is the miniature counterpart of my beloved whale princess the queen then informed her son of all that had passed on the fairy marmotta's visit at which zirphil could not forbear showing a surprise not very flattering to minikin but she was so good-natured that when she saw the queen's affliction she kissed her hand and could not refrain from tears zirphil was touched by this tender scene and asked minikin for her hand to kiss in its turn with much grace and dignity she extended it to him and then re-entered her case when zirphil had left the queen she rose from her bed to inform the king of what she had heard and of what she had just witnessed that they might take every reasonable precaution against the probable effect of the fairy's anger the following night prince zirphil notwithstanding that his bodyguard had been doubled was carried off as the clock struck twelve and found himself as usual in company with his invisible princess but instead of being greeted with kind and tender language as heretofore he heard weeping and sounds of grief and observed that the princess kept a considerable distance from him he ran after her round the apartment until he was tired when seating himself on a sofa he exclaimed what have i been guilty of that i deserve such unkind treatment i know all said the whale princess in a voice choked by sobs and great have you forgotten the tenderness with which you kissed the hand of the princess minikin the tenderness returned zirphil quickly ah divine princess are you so little acquainted with mine as to accuse me on so slight a ground if i looked at minikin attentively it was only because her face exactly resembles yours and being deprived of the pleasure of seeing you all that resembles you fills me with delight conceal yourself no longer my dear princess and be sure that i will look at none but you the invisible princess seemed to be consoled by those words and drawing near the prince forgive me said she this little jealous suspicion i have reasons enough to dread being separated from you to be afflicted at anything that seems to forebode that misfortune but said zirphil can you not inform me why you are not permitted to make yourself visible to me or if i have delivered you from marmotta's tyranny how is it that you are still under enchantment alas said the invisible princess 
if you had chosen to scale me we should have been much happier but you felt so much horror at that proposition that i dared not press you more by what means interrupted zirphil is minikin acquainted with what has happened for she said nearly the same thing to me no sooner had he pronounced these words then the whale princess uttered a piercing shriek and sprang off the sofa and the prince in astonishment did so too but what was his terror when he perceived the hideous marmotta in the middle of the apartment holding his beautiful princess by her flowing ringlets no longer invisible no longer half a whale he drew his sword but his princess with tears and supplications entreated him to moderate his anger as it would be of no avail against the fairy's power and the horrible marmotta gnashing her teeth there issued from her mouth a violet-coloured flame which singed his whiskers prince zirphil said the fairy to him a fairy who guards you prevents me from exterminating you your father your mother and all who are related to you but you shall at least suffer in what is most dear to you for marrying without having consulted me and your torments and those of your princess shall not cease until you are submitted to my power as she finished these words the fairy disappeared together with the princess the apartment and the palace and prince zirphil found himself in his own room in his night-dress and with his drawn sword in his hand he was so astonished and so beside himself with anger that he did not observe that it was freezing for it was then the middle of winter on hearing his outcries his guards rushed into his chamber and requested him either to go to bed or allow himself to be dressed he chose the latter and went straight to the apartment of the queen who on her part had passed the night in the most dreadful anxiety on going to bed the queen was unable to sleep and being troubled with sorrowful thoughts she resolved to impart them to the little minikin with that purpose she took the case but in vain she shook it minikin was no longer there the queen fearful that she had lost her in the garden rose from her bed and gave orders for torches to be lighted and a search to be made immediately but in vain they searched minikin had vanished and the queen returned to her bed in a transport of grief with which she was overwhelmed when her son entered her apartment he was himself in such affliction that he did not perceive that his mother was in tears the queen therefore when she noticed his agitation said ah doubtless you are come to announce some terrible calamity yes madam answered zirphil i am come to inform you that i wish to live no longer if i do not find my dear princess how my son said the queen are you already in love with that unfortunate princess what with your minikin said the prince is it possible that you can even suspect me alas my dear whale princess has been torn from me for her only i wish to live and marmotta the cruel marmotta has dragged her from me ah my son said the queen i am still more afflicted than you are 
for if you are deprived of your whale, princess, I have to regret the loss of my minikin, who since last evening has disappeared from the case. Then the queen and Zerphil related to each other the misfortunes that had befallen them. The king was promptly informed of the queen's despair and outcries, and also of his son's sorrow. He entered the apartment in the midst of the scene we have described, and informed himself of what had occurred. As he was very sagacious, the thought immediately struck him to have Minikin advertised and to offer a large reward to whoever should bring her to the palace. Everybody thought this an admirable expedient, and the queen herself, notwithstanding her sorrow, was obliged to agree that no one but the most transcendent genius could have hit upon so singularly felicitous a scheme. Accordingly, handbills were printed and distributed, and the queen consoled herself with the hope of soon receiving intelligence of her little princess. As for Zerphil, the loss of Minikin interested him as little as her presence. He came to the resolution of seeking out a certain fairy of whom he had heard, and, having obtained permission of the king and queen, he set out immediately, attended only by his equerry. The country in which the fairy lived was situated at an immense distance from that of the prince, but neither time nor obstacle could stop the amorous impatience of the young Zerville. He passed through kingdoms and countries out of number. Nothing particular occurred to him, because he was determined that nothing should, for, beautiful as Cupid and brave as a lion, adventures would have befallen him if he had been willing to seek them. At last, after he had been a year on his travel, he arrived at the borders of the desert in which the fairy resided. He alighted from his horse, and left his equerry to await his return in a little hut, with orders not to be impatient for his coming. He entered on the desert, which was indeed frightfully solitary. It was inhabited only by owls, but their dismal screechings did not dismay the soul of our courageous prince. Sustained by his unconquerable intrepidity, and by the hope of meeting with the beneficent fairy, he did not hesitate an instant, but penetrated into that region, which until then had never been trodden by mortal feet. After night had set in, he perceived afar off a light, which made him think that he was approaching the fairy's grotto, for no one but a fairy could reside in that horrible desert. He continued to direct his steps toward it during the whole of the night, and at last, about daybreak, he discovered the celebrated grotto. He arrived at the foot of a prodigiously high rock, which seemed to be of fire, such was its brilliancy. It was a carbuncle of such an immense size that the fairy had a very spacious residence therein. When Prince Zerphil had reached her grotto, the fairy effulgent appeared to him. He prostrated himself before her, when she desired him to rise and follow her into the grotto. "'Prince,' said she to Zerphil, "'a power equal to mine has partly counteracted the happiness with which I endowed you at your birth, but you may expect everything from my protection. You must have as much patience as courage.' to overcome Armada's wickedness. I can tell you no more. At least, madam, answered the prince, do me the favor to inform me if the beautiful whale princess is unhappy, 
and if I may hope to see her again soon. She is not unhappy, said Effulgent, but you cannot hope to see her again until you have pounded her in the mortar of the King of the Whitings. Oh, heavens, cried Zerphil, is it possible, madam, that she is in his power? Alas, then I have to dread the effects of his passion for her, in addition to the horror I feel at having to pound her with my own hands. Arm yourself with courage, answered the fairy, and do not hesitate to obey me. On that all your happiness will depend, and also that of your wife. But she will die if I pound her, continued the prince and I would sooner suffer death myself. Go, said the fairy, and make no reply. Every moment that you lose adds to Marmotta's fury. Hasten to the king of the whitings. Tell him that you are the page promised him by me, and rely on my protection. Then Effulgent pointed out to him, on a map, his road to the court of the king of the whitings, and dismissed him, after apprising him that the ring he had received from his whale princess would instruct him how to act when the king gave him anything difficult to perform. He set out, and, after journeying several days, arrived at a meadow close to the seaside, where there was moored a little sailing-boat, built of mother-of-pearl and ornamented with gold. He looked at his ruby ring and saw his shadow sitting in the boat so he jumped on board and having unmoored it the wind drove it out to sea he was soon out of sight of land and after being driven before the wind for several hours the boat stopped at the foot of a crystal palace built on piles he sprang on the landing-place and entered a court which led to a superb vestibule and to a numerous suite of apartments all the walls of which were rock-crystal, admirably engraved, presenting the most charming effect imaginable. This castle was the palace of the King of the Whitings, and its only inhabitants were men with fishes' heads. The prince had no doubt as to where he was. He felt his collar rising, but he controlled it to ask of a turbot, who looked like a captain of the guard, where he could find the King of the Whitings the man turbot gravely motioned him onward and zerphil passed into the guard-room where he saw a thousand men with pikes heads under arms who fell into a double rank for him to pass through at last after making his way through an infinite crowd of menfish he came to the presence chamber he did not hear much noise in his progress for the menfish were dumb while he observed that the greater part of them had heads like the whitings the prince saw in the ante-room several who appeared to be of high rank from the crowds which surrounded them and from their own important looks zerphil had reached the king's closet just as the council which was composed of twelve men with sharks heads was leaving his majesty presently the king himself appeared he had like so many of his court the head of a whiting but he also had fins on his shoulders and from the waist downward was a real whiting he had the gift of speech and his only garment was a scarf of golden fish skin which looked very splendid 
on his head he wore a helmet shaped like a crown whence depended the tail of a codfish which served him instead of a plume of feathers four men whitings were carrying him in a bowl made of japanese porcelain about the size of a bathing-tub and which was filled with sea-water one of the greatest ceremonials at the court and which was scrupulously exacted by the king was the refilling of this bowl twice a day by the peers and dukes his attendants this employment was however considered a great honour and was much sought after the king of the whitings was very tall and looked more like a monster than anything else after replying to some of those about him who had brought him petitions he perceived the prince who are you my friend said his majesty what accident has brought a man here may it please your majesty answered zirphil i am the page whom the fairy effulgent promised to send to you oh i understand said the king laughing and showing his teeth which looked like those of a saw let him be taken to my seraglio and let all my crawfish be shown him every morning he must choose ten from among them pound them in a mortar and make me some broth sir phil was conducted to the seraglio and while reflecting on his singular situation he saw the doors open and ten or twelve thousand crawfish enter the room and arrange themselves in straight lines nearly filling the apartment the thought struck him that he might be able to discover his beautiful and unfortunate whale princess among them as the hideous marmotta had ordained that he should pound her in a mortar why should i have to pound them said he except it is to drive me mad but never mind let me try to discover her cried zirphil that i may at least die of grief before her face then he asked the crawfish if they would allow him to search among them for one with whom he was acquainted she who appeared to be the chief mounted on a table and said we are not aware that there is such a one among us sir but you may search until it is time for us to return to our pond where it is absolutely requisite that we should pass the night zirphil commenced his researches but it was like looking for a needle in a bundle of hay and he only learned from those he interrogated that they were all princesses who had been transformed by the wicked marmotta he was inexpressibly grieved on hearing this and to think that he would have to choose ten of them every day for the king's broth it was now getting late and they informed zirphil that it was time for them to return to their pond but it was not without pain that the prince should consent to forego the pleasure of searching however fruitlessly for his dear princess he had not been able during the whole day to speak to more than one hundred and fifty but as he was at least certain that she was not among those he resolved to take ten from their number he did so and having taken them to a man-pike who was the head cook the latter inspected them and brought zirphil a green porphyry mortar and a golden pestle and having shown the prince how to place them he made signs for him to begin pounding he was about to do so when the bottom of the mortar opened amid shouts of laughter and sent forth a bright flame which dazzled the prince's eyes for a moment and then expired leaving the bottom of the mortar as before 
Zerfil looked into it, but nothing was there. The crawfish had disappeared, at which he was very much astonished, but withal pleased, for he did not relish the idea of having to pound them. The man-pike seemed to regret what had taken place, and wept bitterly. The prince was as much surprised at seeing the head-cook's grief as at the laughter of the crawfish, but he could not learn what occasioned either, as the crawfish were gone and the man-pike could not speak. Prince Zerfil, pondering on what he had witnessed, returned to his pretty apartment, where he no longer saw the crawfish, they having returned to their pond. The next morning, when the crawfish entered, he again sought for his princess, and, not finding her, he chose ten of the finest of them and took them to the kitchen. The same adventure occurred as before. The flame came from the mortar, the crawfish disappeared laughing, and the man-pike wept. A similar occurrence happened every day for three months, but as Zerfil heard no more of the king of the whitings, his only sorrow was that he could not find his beautiful whale-princess. One evening, as Zerfil was returning from the kitchen to his room, he had occasion to pass through the palace gardens. As he passed near the palisade, which surrounded a charming grove, in the middle of which was an artificial cascade, he heard the sound of voices, which not a little surprised him, for he thought all the inhabitants of that country were dumb, like those he had seen. He walked more softly, and heard a voice say, But, my princess, so surely as you never discover yourself, so surely your husband will never recognize you. What would you have me do? said the other voice, which Zerfil immediately recognized as one which he had so often heard. The tyranny of Marmata obliges me to act as I do, and I cannot discover myself without endangering my life and his. The wise fairy effulgent, who sent me there, conceals me from him, for the purpose of preserving us for each other. It is absolutely necessary that he should pound me, it is an irrevocable decree. Whence comes it that the prince must pound you? said the other. You have never consented to relate your history to me, though the unfortunate Citronetta, your confidant, would have informed me of it if she had not been selected last week for the king's broth. Alas, replied the whale princess, that unfortunate creature has then already undergone the fate which awaits me. Would that I were in her place! Surely she is now in Effulgent's grotto. Do, said the other voice, since it is so fine an evening, inform me, why are you submitted to Marmotta's vengeance? I have already told you who I am, and I repeat that I am burning with impatience to learn your history. Well, said the princess, although it will only renew my grief, I cannot refuse to satisfy you. Besides, I shall have to speak of Zerfil, and I abandon myself with joy to all that can recall his image to my mind. It is easy to imagine the prince's joy at overhearing this tender confession. He softly glided into the grove, and, as it was now quite dark, he could neither see nor be seen. He listened, however, with the utmost attention, and overheard as follows. 
my father was king of a certain country situated near mount caucasus he governed as well as he could a people of incredible wickedness insurrections were perpetually shaking his throne and the windows of his palace were frequently shattered to pieces by stones intended for himself the queen my mother who was very clever and highly accomplished composed for him harangues to appease the rioters but if he were successful one day on the next there was infallibly another insurrection the judges were tired of condemning to death and the executioners of hanging and beheading the criminals at last things arrived at such a crisis that seeing all his provinces in rebellion and his people in arms against him my father resolved to retire into the country that he might no longer witness the dreadful condition of his affairs he took his queen with him and left the kingdom to be governed by one of his ministers a man wiser and of bolder spirit than the king my father our wicked subjects lighted bonfires at their departure and the next day strangled the minister declaring that he wanted to act the king and that they preferred even their old one to him my father was not at all flattered by their preference and did not therefore quit the retirement of his little country house where i was born i was called minikin because i was very small and as the king and queen tired of honors that had cost them so dearly wished to conceal my birth from me they brought me up as a shepherdess at the end of ten years which appeared to my parents no longer than ten minutes so contented were they with their retreat the fairies who inhabited mount caucasus indignant at the persevering wickedness of the inhabitants of my father's late kingdom resolved to restore it to order one day as i was tending my flock in the meadow that joined our garden two old shepherdesses accosted me and entreated me to give them a night's lodging they looked so weary and so sorrowful that i instantly took compassion on them come said i to them my father who is a shepherd will be willing to receive you i then ran to our cottage to tell him that they were coming he went out to meet them and received them very kindly as did the queen my mother i then collected my sheep and fetched some new milk for our guests and while my father was preparing something nice for supper the queen who as i have already told you was very intelligent entertained them with her conversation i had a little lamb of which i was excessively fond my father told me to bring it to him that he might put it down to roast i was not in the habit of refusing to do as i was desired so i fetched my lamb immediately but i was so afflicted that i ran to my mother and burst into tears she was however so much engaged in talking to the good women that she did not observe me what is the matter with little minikin said one of them seeing me in tears alas madam said i to her my father is about to roast for you my little pet lamb what said she who had not spoken is it for us that they are going to be so cruel to the pretty minikin then rising from her seat she struck the floor with her wand and there instantly appeared a table on which was spread a magnificent feast at the same time the two old shepherdesses were transformed into two ladies so handsome and so glittering with jewels that i was motionless with surprise at seeing them 
my father and mother immediately began to testify their respect for the two fairies for you may be sure that fairies they were raising them from their feet where the king and queen had thrown themselves king and queen said the more majestic of the two we have known you for a long time and your misfortunes have excited our pity do not think that a high station is exempt from the evils attendant on human life you ought to know from experience that the higher the rank the greater the liability to misfortune your patience and virtue however have lifted you above your hard fate and it is time they should be rewarded i am the fairy effulgent and i am come to ask you what can most contribute to your happiness speak and do not be afraid of putting our power to the test consult together and your wishes shall be accomplished but do not let your request have reference to minikin her destiny is apart from yours the fairy marmotta jealous of the brilliant career before your daughter has condemned her to obscurity for a certain period but minikin will be better able to appreciate the happiness of life after she shall have known some of its evils we will protect her and mitigate her fate this is all we are permitted to unfold to you now speak anything that you can ask shall be granted the fairies were silent after this harangue the queen turned to the king and requested him to make answer for she was in tears at learning that i was destined to be unfortunate but neither was my father in a condition to speak he uttered lamentable cries and i seeing my parents weep quitted my lamb to join my tears to theirs the good fairies affected by the extreme grief which prevailed in the royal family spoke a few words apart then effulgent who had already spoken said to the queen be consoled madam the misfortunes with which minikin is threatened are not so bad since they will terminate happily for from the moment that the husband we have destined for her shall have performed what fate shall require of him minikin will be happy for the remainder of her life and our sister will have no further power over either of them we have allotted her to a prince who is every way worthy of her all that remains for us to say is that it is absolutely necessary you should lower your daughter every morning into the well and let her bathe there during the space of half an hour if you scrupulously observe this rule perhaps your daughter may avoid the misfortune with which she is menaced and it is at the age of twelve years that her destiny will be fulfilled if she reach thirteen without its coming to pass there will be no longer anything to fear so much for minikin for yourselves express but your wishes and they shall be gratified end of chapter twenty part one